Hey there, everyone. My name is Ari, and welcome to Made of Metal, a motivational podcast where we tell stories about regular people overcoming insurmountable odds. So first of all, if you hung with me this far to the third episode, thank you so much for your support. I truly appreciate it. This is part three, the final chapter in the Joan of Arc series. So let's get right into it. Today, we complete Joan's epic saga from her determined trek through the French countryside to first meet the Dauphin, whom she identified on site while he was disguised, although she had never seen him before, to escorting the future king to his coronation as one of his most trusted allies and military strategists. All of this from a humble teenager. Joan has come so far. In the previous episodes, we recounted Joan's humble origins, her foundational belief that she was being guided by saints, and her unwavering determination against any and all opposition. In today's episode, we'll be talking about the sad conclusion of Joan's amazing journey, from an unknown farmer's daughter to the patron saint of France. I'm both really excited and really saddened to tell you the end of Joan's story. Without question, if Joan had not been captured, she would have continued on to do more incredible things. The fact that even after death, and many, many years later, Joan is still a household historical icon across the globe is a testament to her spectacular story. We left Joan as she was continuing her strategy of methodically restoring towns that were taken over by the Burgundians to French loyalty, accompanying the newly crowned King Charles. At Joan's discretion, she decided to leave the king to venture and visit towns with her own troops. While on her travels, Joan and her troops arrived at a crossroads where they were denied entry. Instead of plowing on, And due to popular demand, Joan and her companions decided to part ways. Joan decided to return to Compiègne, where she had originally left the king, while her troops chose their own way. On the way back to Compiègne, Joan had heard through her travels that the captain of a Burgundian party was currently holding the company at siege. On the way back to Compiègne, Joan had heard through her travels that the captain of a Burgundian company was currently holding the city at siege. Joan approached this circumstance like every other obstacle in her path. Head on, strategically, and courageously, with grit and gall to spare. Okay, the girl was a powerhouse. (laughs) Joan arrived at the city and entered in secret. The next evening, Joan led a small group and twice attacked the Burgundians outside of the city. Unfortunately, during a particularly brutal skirmish, Joan was wounded and her troops were eventually outflanked. The soldiers who fought beside Joan described the grisly scene of Joan boldly making her last stand to buy her troops more time. Joan was waiting until the last of the troops, which was her rear guard, had crossed over a river to the other side. It was at this point that Joan was knocked from her horse and unable to remount. They were quickly surrounded and overwhelmed by the Burgundians. And with that, the great Joan was captured 
with her brother and one of her trusted lieutenant generals. They were taken to another location where the Duke of Burgundy himself came to see Joan. Joan was legendary at this point. Even the Duke couldn't resist or deny Joan's acclaimed reputation. When the news of Joan's capture reached the king and townspeople, the king's counselors told blatant lies, making accusations that Joan rejected all counsel and acted on her own agency. In a horrible twist, the king turned his back on Joan, offering Joan zero support or resources to rescue her. Everything that Joan had given, everything that Joan had lost, everything that had been sacrificed, all in the king's name. Due to the present politics of the king and the Duke of Burgundy working towards a permanent truce, the king made no attempt to save Joan. The same captain that held Compierne in a siege requested for Joan and the lieutenant general to be sent to his castle. At arriving at the captain's castle, Joan made her first daring escape attempt. Although unsuccessful, this would not be her last attempt to free herself from the Burgundians' capture. After Joan's first escape attempt, she was moved to a more distant location. Joan was always described as expressing significant concern about the situation in Compiègne and the townspeople that were under siege. This was one of her main motivations to free herself and nothing was going to stop her. Of course, Joan made a second escape attempt. She jumped from the tower where she was held and landed in the moat below. Miraculously, Joan was not hurt. After this escape attempt, Joan was taken to a town nearby the Duke of Burgundy. The news of Joan's capture reached everyone in Paris, and in the next few days, the theology faculty at the University of Paris who were loyal to the English, requested that the Duke of Burgundy give Joan to the chief inquisitor or the bishop in whose diocese she had been seized. The bishop arrived and met with the Duke of Burgundy, asking in the name of the English king that Joan be turned over for 10,000 francs. The capture and hurried attempts to seize ownership of Joan from all her enemy parties shows just how much disruption and havoc Joan had wreaked. The Duke ultimately passed the decision on to the captain who originally captured Joan. The final deal was made. Joan was turned over to the bishop and her trial was set. There was a reason Joan was so coveted. Although Joan's actual charges were against the monarchy, Joan was brought to trial before a church court. The University of Paris was the declared arbiter in matters concerning faith which applied to Joan, as her entire premise was that she was acting on the divine direction of God. The University of Paris insisted that Joan be tried as a heretic. If convicted, Joan's trial would be used to make it seem as if the king owed all his military success and subsequent coronation to a declared lunatic, discounting his entire political standing. And so begins... Joan's slow public demise. On January 13th, 1431, the preliminary hearings began. Statements from across the country were read before the two judges presiding. On February 21st, Joan was summoned to the stand to testify. Before her trial appearance, Joan requested permission to attend Mass. 
Another example of Joan's steadfast belief in her faith, even in the worst of circumstances. And of course, her request was denied. The court did not want to facilitate Joan's claims that she was being given celestial assistance in any way. Although Joan was on trial for her life, although the king had turned his back on Joan when he needed her the most, Joan still remained strong in her loyalties. Before testifying, Joan told the court that she refused to share anything that had been discussed between herself and the king. In between testimonies, Joan was being admonished for her behavior in prison, but Joan insisted that she was morally free to attempt escape. And of course, with this declaration and Joan's history, Joan always had ample eyes watching her. Joan was assigned 24-7 guards to remain in her cell with her. She was sometimes chained to a wooden block or put in irons to further restrict her movements. Between February and March of 1431, Joan was interrogated by the court more than a dozen times. Each time Joan was sworn in, and every single time, Joan made it clear that she would not reveal any information that had been shared between herself and the king. After all the interrogations, the trial continued, and it took Joan two days to answer against all 70 charges that had been raised against her. As it was the church prosecuting, it became obvious that the main issue was not Joan's actions, but the fact that she was declaring these acts in the name of faith, going against the church. The majority of Joan's charges were based on allegations that her behavior displayed blasphemous presumption. Her claims of supernatural insight, divine favor, and communing with spirits could not be allowed to stand in the public eye. Those sort of accusations threatened all the power the church stood for. Joan must be discredited and denounced at all cost. The court pointed out other instances, such as the way Joan signed her letters. Joan would often endorse her letters with the name Jesus and Mary. Joan also claimed to be guaranteed salvation and would often wear men's clothing as a safety measure when traveling in order to mask that she was a woman. Joan's most serious charge was ignoring the commands of the church in lieu of the commands of God. The hypocrisy in the church's charges were astounding. On March 31st, Joan was questioned and asked to clarify a few of her previous declarations, specifically on her submission to the doctrines outlined by the church. Joan said that it was only God and her saints that she held herself answerable. This did nothing but further infuriate the court and church officials. The trial continued, and Joan's 70 charges are eventually reduced to just 12. While in prison, Joan became deathly ill. While she was ill, she was encouraged by the court to submit to the church. Joan, who believed herself to be dying, begged to go to confession and receive Holy Communion. Joan also requested that she be buried only in consecrated ground. While Joan awaited her fate, she was continually pressed to submit herself to the church. Joan responded, I am relying on our Lord. I hold to what I have already said. As time went on and Joan would not submit, the church became more insistent. 
Joan was eventually threatened with torture if she did not provide the information that was requested. Joan was under immense pressure at this point. She was aware of her role and would not betray the king in her country, although they had callously turned their backs on her. Joan's strength and character was an absolute marvel. When threatened with torture, Joan declared, quite pointedly, that even if they tortured her to death, she would not reply differently. Joan added that in any case, if they were to extract any information from her, she would afterward maintain that any statement that was made had been exhorted by force. In light of Joan's convictions, her interrogators voted against her torture 10 to 1. Joan was informed in no uncertain terms that if she did not submit to the church and admit her guilt, she would be turned over to be put to death. Joan would not relent. On May 24th, Joan was taken out of prison and escorted to a cemetery for her sentence to be read. During the sentence reading, the sermon included several vicious attacks focused specifically on King Charles. Joan spoke up, saying that they had no right to attack the king, who was a good Christian. Joan requested that the sermon should be confined to just Joan's own character rather than that of the king. After the sermon was concluded, Joan requested that the evidence of her history be sent over to Rome. Naturally, the judges ignored her appeal to the Pope and began to read her final sentence. It was during the final sentence reading that Joan faltered. And I thought it was really important to share this moment as well, as I don't believe this is often discussed when speaking about Joan of Arc's story. I thought it was important to share as it highlights that Joan was not infallible. Joan was human. Joan was terrified. And Joan did not want to die. Joan declared that she would do what the church required of her. At this declaration, Joan was presented with a form of adjuration that had already been prepared in the event Joan acquiesced. When presented with the adjuration, Joan hesitated, but signed it, doing so on the condition that it was pleasing to our Lord. After signing the document, instead of death, Joan was condemned to life in prison. Joan was also ordered to wear women's clothing, which she obeyed. Three days after Joan's sentence began, she was visited by the judges. The judges found Joan to again be wearing men's clothing. Joan simply said that it was her preference. They again pressed Joan to reveal more information, to which she replied she was not able to due to divine advice. Joan said that the saints were not pleased with her renouncement, encouraging Joan to return to her original faith accepting the ultimate fate in her beliefs. The judges realized that Joan would never submit to the church as they requested and required. This was the key, and nothing else mattered. The next morning, Joan was able to make her confession and receive communion. Joan was then led to her final destination, the stake. On the way, Joan was made to listen to one more sermon and her sentence, all of which was read out in front of the judges and a large crowd that had gathered to watch Joan's execution. As Joan was being tied to the stake, she was consoled by a priest who she asked to hold high a crucifix for her to see, 
and to shout out assurances of salvation loud enough that she should hear him above the roar of the flames. With that final request, the executioner slowly laid the torch to the pyre. As Joan was engulfed by the flames, her last words were calling out to her Savior. It was described by witnesses at her later retrial that there was little doubt that Joan was indeed a faithful Christian. Joan died on May 30th, 1431. It was estimated that she was roughly 19 years old. But Joan's story doesn't end there. Vindication by the courts would soon come and much more. 20 years after her death, King Charles ordered an inquiry into Joan's trial. The resulting proceedings concluded that Joan's sentence will be revoked and annulled. Joan was canonized by the Pope on May 16, 1920. The one who was guided by saints became a saint herself. There are few stories that I love more than Joan of Arc's. I love that she was clearly a maverick, a leader, a military powerhouse, but she was also a woman, a devout believer in her faith, and often described as a generous and kind person. She was normal. I think we could all do well to learn a bit from the story of Joan of Arc. The goal of this podcast is to motivate you, and motivation looks different and feels different for everyone. While some are motivated by faith, others are motivated by inner goals or family, it's different for everybody. Take from the story what you need to fortify yourself. You too can bring your visions into reality, one day or battle at a time. I'll end Joan's story with a quote she made on the day of her execution. It was I who brought the message of the crown to my king. I was the angel, and there was no other. You can follow Made of Metal at Made of Metal Podcast on Instagram. That's Made of Metal, M-E-T-T-L-E Podcast on Instagram. We're also on Facebook by the same name, as well as we're getting our website established. Finally! I'm getting a Patreon together as well to offer you guys some premium content and live chats because I would love to connect with you all. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook. Please leave a review or a rating. I really love the feedback. I love this. I love helping people and I want to know I can do it better for you guys. So let me know. And as always, thank you so much for listening. And please remember to bloom where you are planted. (laughs) 